What's up, ladies and gentlemen? What is popping? What is cracking? Let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. Yes, sir. Everybody wow. get excited. Hope eight you all had a great day. Eight out of ten. Seven out of ten. Seven or eight out of ten. What's up, everybody? We want to welcome you in on YouTube or Apple Podcasts and Spotify to the All Day Every Day Show with All Day AJ and the homie Manny Ruffin. Hope you guys had a great yeah, Labor Day I was weekend. just about to say that. Hope you enjoyed some booze. Yep. Some, uh, Hope you guys had booze and good food and spent a lot of time with family. Boats and brews. Boats and brews. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to say the last one. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, drop a like down below and a comment on anything that you hear about our guest today. We're going to be getting to Chris in just a moment. Uh, and then sure. also, like, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Yep. And then lastly, we have to say this every time, Apple Podcasts, give us those ratings, guys. We say it every time, but it really does mean a lot to us because this is the, the for us to get the exposure that we need to move throughout this entire industry. Um, so we have another guest today. We are going to be talking a lot about um, how Chris Gerlacher has, you know, made it in the sports gambling industry, uh, doing a lot of writing. Uh, and you're going to hear so many different things from this guy, right? So uh, this is just, like, perfect how it lined up for us Facts. because we interview guys we interview hand, sports handicappers now we kind of get to hear someone who's just like you know our action network guy Facts. Facts. it's kind of the same thing so let's get him in here and then um how the big scotty's doing and yeah big scotty too so let's get him in here and we will um see how this goes all right yo chris thank you thank you thank you for your time today <laughs> means flesh. so much i know did you like that um did you like that little fake Clap, clapping applause emoji there we always do that that sound effect oh i like it yeah nobody claps for me at work so this is uh <laughs> was it is it is it gerlacher are we pronouncing it right uh yeah it is gerlacher okay uh, yeah we were, we were we ever gets it right so I'm we were fighting about it work. we were like oh we don't we i just hope we said it correctly when we got in there but we do seriously appreciate your time today Thanks. sitting down and chatting with us um and a huge shout out to guestia for making this all possible as very well. true shout out so um let's get things started chris so we're going to be bouncing all over from your career. Um, but I like for me, I graduated in sports broadcasting and, mm -hmm. you know, we kind of started doing this together. Um, so for you, you were a CU Boulder graduate and mm -hmm. your degree was obviously not in, you know, a sports type field. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you just tell us like how you made that move and that switch to getting into a sports betting industry sports gambling field from where you started and what you actually went to school for sure so i went to school uh, i studied business with an emphasis in entrepreneurship um, my dad started his own business down in dallas and i knew i really didn't want to work for somebody else out of the business school um the funny thing about business school jobs is they don't really tell you what you're going to be doing day to day hmm. um so you, you have to ask all of your interviewers, so walk me through your, you know, a day in your work life. And they'll be like, oh, you know, emails and Excel and, you know, I lead some projects and they usually don't get specific. So I was, I was very happy to, you know, go do writing instead. And, uh, yeah, I, I freelanced for three years with, you know, a, a lot of ups and downs, but really a lot of downs. Um, I would get some blogging and content jobs here and there. Um, I did video captioning and resume writing, which was, it was not fun and it did not pay the bills. So, you know, there were <laughs> we totally <laughs> two tracks against it and they're important. On that. The bad double uh, whammy, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Right. So and, like, uh, no, my bad. So but oh, you okay. have like a, a plethora, like I'm just looking through your stuff and you have, you're writing for like six different websites. Do so you have your own like fictional stuff you do? Like if you had to give like an elevator pitch of what you do exactly, what would that be? Uh, 
Well, so right now I work for a uh, family of sports betting sites, all owned by a company called Katana Media. Okay. Um, and we all have a very, you know, supportive and happy Slack channel <laughs> where we, um, you know, where we all talk. And you know, they're a they're a really great company to work for. And uh, I got there because I got. I wrote this long article about freelancing straight out of school and, you know, trying to do freelance writing and fiction writing at the same time. And a guy named Kendall emails me out of the blue one day and he says, Hey, you know, I'm starting a new company of sports betting sites. Do you want to uh, write about sports betting? And I was like, sure. And it was April, 2020. So I got a virtual job at the beginning of the pandemic, which was great. Um, I was, <laughs> it was really good timing. Um, and it was a month before sports betting went live in Colorado, which is where I live. And so I got to watch the legal sports betting industry in Colorado build from the ground up. So I got really lucky with timing and, you know, I got to see some of the really big sports betting apps before they, you know, I saw their soft launches before they were beautiful, before the really big welcome bonuses. So, <laughs> um, it was, it was a great, you know, on the ground education, of the sports betting industry. And, um, eventually Kendall's company got sold to Katana Media, which is the big company uh, that that owns all these sites now. And um, a free or a full-time offer came along with it. So that's how I'm able to jump across these six different sites and, and write uh, things. So would you have, like, this is a little bit different on that, that point, but like you started, like you said, when sports betting was legalized in Colorado. And mm-hmm. would you have liked it how you saw it that way where you kind of got to see the sports betting industry in Colorado, like go from the bottom up, or would Mm -hmm. you have liked to start in, you know, a state that was already legalized. So then you could have already gotten into, you know, the ins and outs and you would have already seen what a state looks like when it's already legal or, you know, back to your first point of, you know, Mm -hmm. would would you have liked it better how you had it where you got it from the bottom up? I definitely liked it better going bottom up. Um, you know, I grew up with startups. I studied startups in college. You know, we had like, like a VC incubator down the street on Pearl Street next to all the bars. So, Pearl street. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I like seeing all the, that's where I felt at home. And that that's how I oriented myself when I uh, started writing about a new industry. Um, and that's what actually let me do not only a lot of the industry level stuff that Kendall liked, um, but I also... Um, uh, since I didn't come from sports, a lot of my articles would make connections outside of sports. So like in the late summer when the vaccine trials, the the really big ones were, were starting, um, you know, I reached out to my network of doctors because that's where dad worked and, you know, got some good, you know, when will casinos open? What do doctors want people to know about going to casinos, for example, um, you know, in, in the late summer of 2020. So uh, those were all useful for, you know, outreach and reaching out to mainstream media sources that, you know, don't cover it exclusively or don't cover sports betting exclusively the way we do. So I ended up building a niche for myself by accident. And I ended up just, you know, building on those strengths and building on what worked. Uh, so that, that a lot of it was, I mean, yeah, there's skill involved and, you know, writing clearly and everything, but there, there's a lot of luck and timing involved too. And like, you know, I think it's kind of like a trial and error as well, just because, Mm -hmm. you know, you started when Colorado was just starting getting Mm -hmm. legal. And like, you've seen, obviously, since you've been covering sports betting, you've seen how sports gambling is becoming so much more popular around the Mm -hmm. U.S. And just, it's more of like the norm. Like we go back to seeing now you see betting lines on, any TV Everything. now, you know, right? It's 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 everywhere. Um, so since you started covering sports betting, what are some of the 
like the biggest changes you've seen maybe in like market trends just from where you started where again going back to the point where you started from the bottom up to where it is now what are some of those changes that you've kind of noticed along the way uh the welcome bonuses have gotten bigger um <laughs> they try to get they try to get you in there by any means necessary man we got a free thousand free two thousand for you <laughs> i wouldn't have right. expected that yeah, no. Well, they started in Colorado, like, you know, 250, 500. And now, um, you know, they've really peaked out around, I think the largest now, I think Caesars is offering 1,250 in, in one of their states. Um, they had to come down from 5,000 because that was just, that was too much to give away up front. Right, um, right. <laughs> and it's like, what, you, you get the free bets, right? So, like, yeah. if you lose it, yep. you know, if you if you go, like, full degenerate and throw, like, 5,000 on something, hey, and then that. you get, like, the 5,000 on free bets, it's technically not, like, it's still in the book. You just right. have to bet that 5,000. Right. That's cool. I wouldn't have even thought that, that, you know, your answer would have been about the welcome bonus. You know, I figured, like, maybe even, like, how the lines change, how the odds are moving. Like, you know, we, we talk to guys that are sports handicappers, and they have so many people that are following their picks that when they put out like a play that's you know plus two thousand in minutes that's down to you know a thousand already um you know just so just like how fast people can take down the lines just from how many times you know random people are hammering that specific line you know what i mean hmm. yeah and you're also seeing some new um market making sports books um show up so like circa circa sports book has obviously been around you know much longer than uh, you know just their app and uh when they set lines, they'll they'll release odds and they will um, they'll actually use the sharks and professional betters to you know come in first and they'll they'll shape that line uh, you know really for everybody else and that's just because Circa will you know release their lines either first or they'll be one of the first and then you know other books like you know DraftKings or one of the other mass market books that are real popular they uh, they'll just draw from they might set their odds similarly to what Circa has done. And one of the things you're seeing is um, uh, FanDuel is starting to drift in that kind of market-making direction. So you're seeing them post their lines a little bit earlier. So, you know, you're seeing some of those small movements as well. And like FanDuel TV as well. I did see that. You know, like we're just getting bigger markets from that. Um, So how how long have you – were you immersed into gambling before you started writing about it? Or was this kind of like a – Hey, I want you to write about sports betting. It's like, oh shit, I'm, I should probably learn about this. Like, were you a were you a little bit of a DJ gambler before you started writing about it, or were you just brand new to it? I was I was brand new. My dad made me place a sports bet on my 21st birthday for him when when I went to Vegas, and that was that was about it. And the clerk, you know, knew when I walked in that I did not belong in that room. I just recited <laughs> whatever my dad told me. Do you remember? I what said the, the words. Was? I gave her the money and and took the ticket and and you know that was it. But do you remember what uh, the bet was? Um, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> it, been, it was probably something on the Raiders. Um, there it Raiders, is. There it older is. than me and my sisters. Um, but no, I mean it, it. But the nice thing about you know going to school for business and you know getting in that startup world is you know kind of all the little bits and pieces you have to look for and some of the you know forces that bounce off each other. Um, and it was really interesting later on, eventually I built a small niche writing about startups and entrepreneurship. And, um, I got to interview, um, a few times a company called sport trade They're Uh, I don't know if you heard of them, but you know, they're a new, uh, 
uh, betting exchange type of company that's trying to launch in the U.S. And those are hard to launch because um, in every state, every sports betting business has to have like its own self-sustaining pile of money, um, which is fine for sports books because they can you know move the odds. But for a betting exchange, it's tough because you need if you don't have enough bettors on there the company just collapses because, uh, you know, bettors will say, Hey, I want to, you know, sell this bet to somebody else and there won't be somebody on there to take it. So um, you have lots of betting exchanges over in Europe where, you know, you know, Ireland, the UK and, you know, other European or EU countries can all be part of the same pile of money. Um, Harder to do in the United States when every state has to be its own little bubble. So uh, profit exchange um, is either launching soon or has already launched. They're another betting exchange startup that's uh, trying to make it up in the Northeast. So that'll be fun to watch those two battle it out. And you, I mean, you kind of brought us there to that startup point. I mean, you just in, in some of the stuff that we've looked in on you is like you really love the startup. So can you talk to us about like why it is the startups for you and like what you've kind of contributed to these small startups just because, you know, like, we look at at places like Action Network, you know, like why not go to a, a bigger place like that? You know, why, why, instead you're doing a lot of the dirty work with these small startups versus going to like a big industry like Action um, and kind of doing, you know, with all your knowledge, working at Action would be kind of like a perfect spot for you, right? Um, well, there are a couple of reasons. Um, like covering startups or just working with the, the startup affiliate company? Just both. Okay. Um, well, I think the startups are more fun to interview because the the CEO is still uh, pretty easy to access, so you can get a lot of high level information um, really easily. So they're really easy to interview. They're still really easy to talk to. They don't have real polished PR teams that you know have they don't have big stakes on their reputation because they're you know months old. <laughs> you know they probably filled out the paperwork a few months before I spoke to them. So. Um, they're great interviews. They're fun to talk to. You know, you have the possibility of what they can grow into or features that could lead one of the really big sports books to buy them out. Um, that's something else you see, by the way, is, you know, a bigger sports book, you know, picking up some of the smaller startups just for like a piece of their tech stack so they can use it for later. Mm. Um, and working at startups, you get to wear more hats and you get to advance more quickly. So, you know, I got to cover different types of writing. I got to do, yeah, I got to learn how to do legislative writing and political writing and, you know, just on the ground reporting from, you know, working at a smaller sports betting news company instead of, you know, going somewhere where I would have to specialize immediately and pick a corner. And as a result of doing that early on, even though I'm at a big company now, um, you know, I'm one of our sections generalist, so I can, you know, jump into legislative writing. I do political writing. Um, for our, you know, predicted uh, presidential election market page and stuff in the midterms. And, you know, I've been covering Massachusetts, which is one of the new uh, states opening up in California, which is gearing up for a fight in November. That'll be interesting. And, you know, it, it is. So, so you're able to jump around in that way. 
Like, you talk about the political writing, and when I was looking through your stuff, that has to be one of the most interesting things about you because we, when we cover the gamblers, like we have guys who are specializing in college football, football, NBA, college basketball, but we've never talked to someone who is specifically trying to focus on the elections, and I think that's fucking sick. Right. So, like, what is that process like for you? Like, are you following all the news? Are you, like, watching the news, reading all the articles? Like, la- like last election when, like, the write-in ballots thing was going on and people were talking about it was rigged, like, was that hectic for you? Like, what is that like following that from start to finish? Uh, so it, it depends on the story because we're always angled towards sports betting. You know, if I see, you know, I'm not writing about foreign policy in Afghanistan. I'm not, okay. I'm not like Christopher Hitchens going to like Iraq, Iran and North Korea and then writing about it. Right. Um, <laughs> so there's always, it always has to be something with, uh, with money on it. Uh, so that limits you to, you know, the presidential election and the midterms and, you know, House and Senate races, sometimes uh, state governorships, but they're, they really end up being footnotes instead of stories in and of themselves. Um, But one of the things that helps a lot is reading political history. So my grandpa in uh, Cheyenne and Wyoming used to be a judge. And so everything he reads is like, 800 pages and 28 volumes. So he's got these long, you know, political history tomes. And I didn't know I would like reading them until he gave me one and I enjoyed it. Um, so that's part of my reading diet. I'll, I'll read those. And that helps me, you know, see whether comparisons to Ronald Reagan are, you know, bullshit or not. Um, you know, whether Democrats are the party of FDR or not, you can just, it just helps you see through some of the rhetorical noise and, and you can write something that's a little bit more based on how voters actually vote. Um, so, so, you know, getting that information outside of the news is one big step and it's an underrated step for anyone who wants to do political writing. But, you know, then you look at big odds changes. Um, so for example, in predicted um, in there, I think it was their Senate, uh, market when the draft opinion that overturned Roe v. Wade uh, released the draft opinion, not the actual overturning, uh, that shocked the prediction market. It was the biggest spike in um, the last like three months um, when it finally happened. So like the price for a Democrat Senate shot up six cents, and the Republican one dropped like four or five or something, um, and it stabilized a little bit, but. The draft opinion leak was the market shock when Roe v. Wade was actually overturned a couple months later. The markets didn't really move, um, and that was because the shock had already happened. So, uh, you know, looking for those interesting patterns and those big news events that really have an impact on odds—that's um, the second one. And the third big one are just you know big national news stories that you know might simmer and you know accumulate and uh, impact voter behavior later. So. Uh, during the first season of the January 6th hearings, I watched all of them for work. Um, and you know, they were all there, there was always something to write. And so if there's a big enough national story that's ongoing, that can also fill the gaps between big, uh, you know, big events that actually move the markets. So, um, it's always tethered to sports betting, but there's also a lot of, you know, outside reading and a lot of news that, uh, you can follow to, you know, add to it. Well, I was going to say like, for like the you know, extensive amount of research for, you know, what goes into betting on elections. Like, take us through, like, bonus.com and for the midterm election. Like, how is this actually legal? Like, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there that have no idea that you can actually bet on an election. And, like, nice. for example, like, betting on Trump for, or versus Biden. Like, you can actually bet on that. Like, personally, I didn't, 
I knew I knew of that, but I didn't know it was like you actually have like an exchange or a, I guess a quote unquote like sports book where you could actually bet on these elections. Well, it's complicated. So there, there are two prediction markets where uh, you can put money on elections. And one of them is predicted.com. That's the one that we use over at Bonus. Um, and they've got, you know, district races, governor races. They have a bunch of different markets, not just the big, you know, midterms and uh, presidential markets. Um, there's also something called the elect or the Iowa electronic market. Um, that one has some restrictions and it has way, 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 way fewer, uh, markets in line. So it's, it's much older. And from a regulatory perspective, it's much safer because some of it is limited to students, excuse me, and academics. Uh, so predicted is really the, the mass market one and it's going to shut down in February, uh, because the CFTC said, Hey, um, you violated the terms of your no action letter where we're revoking your permission to um, to operate in the United States. Uh, so we're about to lose our, our, our biggest and most popular um, election betting platform. And the reason it was legal um, and able to operate is because uh, Victoria University of Wellington out of New Zealand, uh, they set up this site so that it could study the wisdom of crowds. They wanted to see whether you know, a bunch of political bettors could outperform political polls and, you know, they can, different organizations can gain access to this data, predict it, they'll send it over and they can study it as well. So uh, same thing with Iowa electronic market. Um, they, you know, a lot of Iowa schools will actually use it in some of their curriculum. So students will have access to it. Um, professors will use it to teach students how markets work. So um, they're both academic and they both have what are called no action letters from the CFTC. And a no action letter is just a letter that says, hey, you're allowed to break our financial rules as long as you follow this certain set of conditions. Um, and the government didn't say which of the rules that predicted had violated. Um, our best guess is that they just became so big because they are such a well-built um, election betting platform that they probably got much bigger than the regulators wanted uh, because it was supposed to stay a small scale academic platform uh, to study the wisdom of crowds and prediction markets, not an election betting platform. Um, election betting is um, outlawed by state law in, in about half the country and then strong and then highly frowned upon in, in the rest of it. So there's no there's no appetite to legalize election betting, um, at least among legislators. We just did a survey at bonus.com um, among sports bettors across the United States, and 40% uh, of them want think election betting should be legal. Another 38% think it should remain illegal, and another 20, 22% are unsure about it. So um, it, it, it doesn't capture the public consciousness and excitement the same way that um, Sports betting does so that Absolutely. that may change later. But I uh, might be an idiot. But why do why why wouldn't it be like? Is it are they as afraid of? I don't know. We all can. We had an interview talking about our sports bets rig or whatever. But like, do are they are they afraid of that seeping into the political space? Like, why do you think it's legal? Is it because it's rigging or they don't want people that are in the office putting big money down because they know this guy's about to lose the election? Like, why do you think it's legal? Um, yeah, I mean the the most common concerns are about election integrity. So you don't want someone to disguise a bribe as a, um, you know, big sports bed. Um, you know, if you think about point shaving scandals in college, they're, you know, opponents of legal election betting are afraid of the, um, you know, something similar happening 
uh, in the election. Do you prefer covering the political side of betting over the sports side of betting, or is it sports over um, over political, and why? Um, I prefer the political side because um, I mean, politics is my favorite sport. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's a sport with consequences, and that makes sure. it really very true. Yeah, the stakes are high. So, um, um, and I enjoy the political history too. Like I wrote, a, I read a great um, book about why Woodrow Wilson was a bad president during World War One. Um, sounds dry, but it was actually really good because we arrested a bunch of Americans for sedition, which is terrible. Mm. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, and and you know, being able to watch for parallels and see them in in real time is, is really exciting. So you took like a different like most people that just got a business degree from a pretty good school, like wouldn't just take the route to go eat shit and like do my own freelancing thing. Like what have you learned about yourself through that process? And like, what, what are some things that I guess are unique about you that made you successful taking that route? As far as other people probably like deal with some adversity, have to eat ramen noodles for a month and be like, no, fuck this man. I'm about to go. You know what I mean? Like, so what, what, what is different about you that helped you be successful in that route? Um, well, I can tolerate failure, number one, um, and criticism because a lot of, a lot of writing, especially early writing, is other people telling you how to write. Mm. Um, Which is probably annoying as fuck, by the way. Like, you, like I've been writing this way for years. Like, what do you mean this is shit? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, that's a big one. And, you know, some people, Christopher Hitchens actually has a great line on this. When he went to teach, he would... Um, he would say, you know, if you want to be, if you want to write for a living, you have to feel compelled to write. Um, it can't just be something you, you know, think you might like and, and dabble in because it's disappointing most of the time. Um, I mean, I hit the goal. I mean, I hit the goal mine being able to work for Container Media, and um, we don't get applause at work, but we have, you know, a big shout out thing on Slack. So, um, you know, it, it, it's supportive. You have a lot of flexibility in what you write about and how you do it, and it's. Uh, it's really great. But before that, you know, I've had a guy who, you know, still owes me $1,200 for a month of work that I did for him. And this was back in, you know, 2018. And I'm never going to get that money. That's bad debt. <laughs> right, right. So the, the highs and lows are very high and very low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like when you were growing up, was this something that like, did you see yourself doing what you're doing now? Or did you have dreams to be something in some field that's obviously like completely different than what you're doing right now? Oh, for a while I wanted to be a surgeon or thought I wanted to be a surgeon. And I saw a video of a surgeon doing a surgery and I was like, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't like it. So um, yeah, what actually got me into it, I know I wanted to, by the time I graduated, it was, I was actually stuck between studying music and studying business because I enjoyed both very much. And I yeah, had some aptitude for both, but when I got accepted to, to you Boulder and visit the campus and found out they had an entrepreneurship program. I was like, I'm, I'm going here. This is, this is an easy choice. Um, and when I took my upper division writing class, um, our professor had us do op-eds was one of our assignments and she helped me get mine published. And that was just a rush. Um, and I was like, this, this is all I want to do. <laughs> you know, forget the supply chain classes, the finance classes. I want to do Yeah. This. I want to do this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that made it very easy as well. Was there ever a point where you were like, listen, like I'm about to give up, like fuck this, like I yeah. might as well go back to the regular route? Like, do you have a story about that or were you always just locked in knowing you'd be able to make it one day regardless? Oh, I didn't know I'm making it. I mean, my, my dad was paying my rent this whole time, which on the one hand makes me very lucky because I got to fail for as long as I did. But um, during one of the 
you know, low points of uh, freelancing. That was when I wrote my first book and it took me four drafts to get to just a basic story, not even a good book. And then many um, revisions after that. And so, um, you know, I think it was like October, 2020, my dad was, he was, he was gentle about it. He was like, Hey, when, what's your plan to monetize this or, or change direction? I was like, I need to make this work or figure something out. Uh, and that was actually why I started submitting freelance articles again, because, uh, you know, he was because of that nudge. And, and that's what led to the writer CEO article that got me hired with um, my first sports betting job. So, yeah, I mean, everyone goes through it. You know, I mean, one of the first things they tell you in the entrepreneurship school is like, you know, if you're not willing to cry over it, don't start a business for it because mm-hmm. everybody now, you know, everyone has one night where you just sit on the floor, you cry, and then you get back up and you go back to work. Um, <laughs> I love that. I mean, I love that. like, I love that. <laughs> I, I, it just goes, it shows like the grind. What's like been the, the hardest part of working in the sports industry? Because obviously when you think about sports, you know, working in sports, there's little to no opportunities. There's not much money involved. So what's kind of like the hardships that you've had? Or, you know, one, maybe one thing that's actually been the the hardest for you working in this, you know, cutthroat industry. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the hardest part from a writing standpoint is, is getting access. And, you know, this is going to be common, probably with any journalists you talk to in, in, in any industry. But, you know, when you're trying to, you don't want the PR you know, press release quote necessarily in your story. You want to get beyond the press release. You want to get beyond, you know, the kind of official line you want. Uh, you know, you may want details about how re- how exactly a responsible gambling funds uh, spent in your state, for example, might, you know, might be one. And, you know, you might get, I got referred back to um, just the uh, black letter law that says, hey, it's going to go to these different funds in these proportions. But that doesn't tell you, you know, what, grants are being awarded and you know whether these programs need more money or less money so uh the hardest part is uh you know doing the reporting to break through that wall and to you know get something that's beneath the surface that's something that you can't just find on google um you know those kinds of uh deeper uh answering those deeper questions right right and like you know you you touch on like it being super hard because even in any industry or any any part of you know working in sports obviously like the hardest part is actually just doing it like you know like and and hearing a lot from what people could say of you know you just have to like not care of failing Mm -hmm. and obviously you know you've dealt with all that with like writing writing and everything so in terms of working at katana media where you're mostly writing did you ever see yourself doing something more of like reporting, being on camera, maybe doing that like along your way up? Or was it always like, I want to write, you know, I have the the skills to be a good writer. I always wanted to go down that path of writing instead of, you know, just actually getting on camera, being like a, a sideline reporter or like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I never, I still don't see myself as a sideline reporter. Um, <laughs> I've, always had, I've always been able to speak in public. Yeah. Um, you know, I took class in high school and the culmination of that class was like a big 35 minute, 40 minute speech at the end of the year. And, you know, I, I did it and I was always, I always found a way to be entertaining in front of a crowd. And like I officiated my first wedding last year and I enjoyed it a lot and I, you know, made it funny and, you know, drew from literature and impressed one of the lit majors in the crowd by accident, which was great. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, 
all my strengths still lie in in writing. Um, most of all, I can speak. I can have a good conversation. Um, you know, I can shower to appear on camera. But this is uh, <laughs> it's still my favorite. I'm happy to do this, but writing would still be my favorite. Um, I, I wouldn't want to do only you know interviews on camera. If that makes sense. And then for working like at all these different you know websites in different markets, you know, and regional sites, right? How do you kind of differ what you're writing about that's different from state to state, you know? So every, um, I mean, every state ha is a little bit idiosyncratic. Everything has its own, you know, rhythm or regulations or little quirks. So for example, something I've written about in Ohio, um, Ohio, I think is the first U.S. state to not allow risk-free bets to be called risk-free bets. Really? Uh, yeah, well, because they're not risk-free, and it's something that's annoyed me for a long time. It is pretty true. That is that is true. <laughs> that is true. That is true because it's like the risk-free two hundred fifty dollars bet, and people think that I'm going to get that two fifty back, like you were saying earlier. It's just, oh, yeah. the, you know it what I mean. To, to free it back. is a little bit of a gray area type thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's bullshit marketing one hundred and one. <laughs> I remember when I was at, um, well, I remember I was at SBC and. Um, last December. And, you know, I asked a panel that included, you know, a state AG and um, another lawyer. And then um, one of the sportsbook companies, chief risk officers, I was like, what's the risk of a false advertising lawsuit from a state AG um, with language like risk-free bets? Um, you know, for the same reason that, you know, y'all jumped on immediately, the risk-free bets are not risk-free. And, um, you know, the, the state AG and the lawyer talked a little bit about it. And it was like, they were like, you know, yeah, it's a risk if a uh, state AG says, you know, this is a consumer rights issue or a consumer protection issue that that can lead to um, unwelcome attention from, you know, the state's highest ranking lawyer. And the uh, the sports book uh, risk officer did not respond to my question, which I thought was telling. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, those are. But yeah, so anyway, Ohio is uh, taking a step forward in, in doing that. So really the only risk-free, well, the only risk-free offer has to actually be risk-free. So like the $10 or $25 or 50 bucks you get just for creating an account, um, that could be called risk-free because that is risk-free um, most of the time. And, you know, in California, they have their, um, they're dueling sports betting propositions and it's possible that both of them will pass and that the courts will have to, you know, resolve any conflicting parts of the two laws. Uh, so that ongoing legal battle is kind of California storyline. Uh, Massachusetts is taking a long time because they're doing a, you know, disparity study that probably should have been done one earlier and, and two could probably be done, um, well, probably could be done faster anyway, but they're they're dragging their heels on that and it's a, it's a whole thing. So every state has its own little storyline to latch on to. And, you know, all the news states will have, you know, some stories in common, but the, the content of those stories will, will all be a little bit different. Well, yeah, because I was going to say, it's pretty cool that they, you know, each state kind of differs in itself of like how they individually do sports betting, right? Because you're seeing the risk reef stuff with Ohio. So, I mean, I guess now after hearing that, it does make more sense where it shouldn't be as difficult to find like the different things to write about in each, you know, in each specific state. Right. Or is it? Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. I mean, every, uh, like our editors, like our editors are all keyed in. We have some really good legislative writers who, um, you know, they like, I can 
do legislative writing, but like these writers are like they're they're on track my bill and they're going step by step, committee to committee to committee meeting. Um, so they're you know they're on another they do it on another level, but they're across the team you have all the expertise to very quickly find what makes this state different. Um, so you know that's another that's a big advantage too. What's your um What's your biggest piece of advice? For someone that's trying to work in sports, and this again goes back to the point of how it's very tough to work into sports. Um, so what's your biggest piece that you would tell maybe a high school kid or a college kid that's looking to go in, into a sports field? What's your biggest piece of advice that you would tell them before they even, you know, are going into that field? Um I mean, get ready to be told no a lot, but at the same time, you know, just keep trying to get your foot in the door. And um I just read a great book about um, LBJ's early days in Congress and the Senate. And one of the things he would do when he did this at a couple of jobs is he would start in some really low level position, uh, but then he would kind of expand his job duties in such a way that he became more visible and important and could form the relationships he needed to do. So like when he first got to Congress, he was working for some congressman, he was like sending messages back and forth. Um, he eventually grew that into um, to include scheduling. So anyone who wanted to talk to his congressman had to talk to him. And so he got a lot of FaceTime with all these, you know, movers and shakers. So, you know, if you're if you just start in a low level position and get your foot in the door, you can slowly expand your role over time and become more visible and more important and build the relationships you need to, you know, get a mentor, get a sponsor in advance. So, you know, don't be put off if you have to start at a low level because, you um, you know, with a little bit of initiative, you can, uh, you can build your way up. Who would you look up to growing up, dude? Because it doesn't seem like you were going to get the conventional answer. I think you would get for most people on the show. Like if you asked me, I'd say, oh, LeBron, Jimmy Rollins, something he'll tie, tell you, Derek Jeter, these guys who are from wherever state that sports gamble will tell you their favorite player. But I feel like from you, it would be a little bit of a different answer. Like who was your guy you looked up to growing up? Oh, dad, easy. That's a uh, great answer. <laughs> my fault, Pop. God damn it. I'm God, yeah, I mean, geez, Maybe that is a normal answer. But um, no, but I told him by the time I was um, old enough to kind of get what he did, he um, he had started his own chain of pediatric urgent care clinics. Um, and so I would kind of absorb, um, I mean, a little bit of what he knew about medicine and, you know, that industry over time. And there are some funny stories in there. But um, you know, I also kind of absorbed what the entrepreneurship lifestyle was like. And mm. Some of the things that me and my sisters got really used to was um, he, he'd have these really angry phone calls in the car. So when a work call would come in, we all had to get really quiet. And he would he was usually either, you know, just talking to somebody who just you know needed to talk. You met all the different work personalities, you know, somebody he just kind of had to have a long conversation and go in circles until, you know, the, the point of it being to death. Sometimes he was sometimes it was really quick and he would just say, you know, what 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 why is this wrong go fix it um and sometimes um especially in the later days when he was selling it and he was um yelling at the management company that eventually took over um acute kids he was they were the really angry swearing uh, conversations that were fun to start with so um yeah i mean that's where i learned you know you can you when you do that you have to drop everything kind of at the drop of a hat um and you know like the like the startup in a marriage is like a third partner too so you know that's something you have to navigate as well at, um in the realm of entrepreneurship so um you know learning all those little things and watching him handle it really well and um, 
he's also one of those people who naturally gets along with everybody. Um, so he was always one of the fun parents that all the teachers liked. So like at the, um, you know, pickup line in elementary school, he'd have the, he'd grab a big megaphone. They used to call your name and he was calling mom over to, you know, come stop talking to somebody so they could go home. Um, he also writes a funny Christmas letter every year, which I've, um, started to do as well. And it was inspired by a Christmas letter he hated. Um, so that, that kind of, you know, go fix it, go do a better attitude. That That's something that, um, I mean, I think anyone can learn from and it's a blast to watch growing up too. Yeah. I love it. Well, so you grew up in Dallas. Yep. So tell us how you didn't fall into the sports fandom of the Dallas Cowboys and that you are a Denver Broncos fan. A uh, couple reasons. The, um, the Cowboys were having a rough patch by the time I was old enough to care. Um, so that didn't help. Um, actually, I started liking football because um, Jay Ajay was our high school running back on our football team my freshman year, his senior year. What? That is that's so wow. cool. Yeah, yeah. It was the only year we were good. Uh, so <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we went to playoffs and it was fun. And um, I was in the marching band, uh, you know, obviously. And we, um, you know, we got to march in uh, Cowboy Stadium because uh, we made it to playoffs, and that was where the first round of uh, high school playoffs was. Was uh, was you know down in Jerry World, so that was a good time. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, but when I met my fiance, um, her her whole family are they're diehard you know Broncos fans, Rockies fans, um, and and so um, her mom won't cook for me if I don't uh, support the Broncos. So it was very. <laughs> I'm very food motivated, so um, not unlike my dog. So that uh, uh, that that was an easy transition to make, and it was they had and the Broncos had an amazing year a year or two after I you know got up here for college. Um, I think wasn't Peyton Manning's Super Bowl game like in yes, 2016? Yes, it was. Yeah, so. yes, it was. Broncos have had some rough times since. I remember in 2018 the Broncos and Ravens. The Broncos blew a 20 point lead, and the Ravens caught back up. Um, it was a bad time, bad time in the Allen household. How do you feel about your How do you feel about your Broncos this year? Russell Wilson's coming in, got some weapons out there. The defense is looking good. How do you feel this year? I mean, better than in years past, but um, you know, we're not going to the Super Bowl this year. No, uh, one of the things we've stopped doing is um, what we used to do. This used to be a betting system. I suspected was a system that I missed out on for like two years or three years of sports betting, but. Like in the year or two after Peyton Manning left, he uh, the Broncos would you know do okay to decent in the first half, and then a completely different team would come out in the second half and they would just throw the game. Um, and and so there were a couple games like you know the Ravens won in twenty eighteen where you could have gotten just great odds on the opposing team if you were willing to make that bet in front of people and for money. Yeah, I think also you know just you have kind of like the ups and downs because you have the avalanche over there. That's and then really, yeah. you have the Rockies who are kind of on suck. the down yeah. and they're always not that good. And then I kind of have like a little bit of excitement with the Broncos, but tell mm -hmm. us about gaming today and how mm -hmm. that kind of differs or differed from the stuff you're doing at Katina media. Um, well, gaming today is also on my Katina media uh, now. So, um, gaming today is unique because that's the really big high level industry stories. Um, and, and, and so a lot of the, um, a lot of the stories that are just really big and industry wide and usually require the most reporting, uh, tend to go on gaming today. So actually our, um, my editor for gaming today, when, when he came on, he, um, he, he 
really taught me how to do reporting at a, at a, at a much deeper level. Cause he would, he would keep asking me for um, more than I gave him. He was like, Hey, why don't you reach out to these couple officials? And I was like, you know, it, it should have occurred to me to reach out to these people. I don't know why I didn't do it already, but um, uh, yeah. Game, I mean, gaming today was a, I mean, it was a print newspaper long before it was a, um, an online news site. So um, there, there's a level of uh, prestige on gaming today and a history on gaming today that uh, some of the newer state specific uh, sports betting sites don't have. Uh, so that's another big difference too, is you have an existing brand um, with an existing voice and existing standards compared to the, um, uh, the newer sites where those things are really getting uh, built out uh, on the ground. So it's more like the bigger market for gaming today. And then, you know, you're like smaller market stuff for like, you know, Toronto sports media or like, like it, you have like your differences in what the bigger markets want you mm. to produce versus the smaller markets. Am I right on that? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not covering state specific issues unless there's a national, a potential national pattern or national implication. So like a lot of the advertising and responsible gambling stories and the funding stories, you know, those are going gaming today. So even if my hook is like, Oh, Ohio is the only one doing the, you know, it's banning the risk-free bet language. Um, you know, a story about how other states might respond would have a very happy home on gaming today. And you did stuff with the Olympics for gaming today, right? Tell us about, you know, the line changes and all that, because again, with the Olympics, it's sports that we're really never talking about unless it's the Olympics. So kind of yeah. talk us through like the lines that you were updating and how it was just way different than doing it for, you know, an NFL or an mm -hmm. NBA. Well, the Olympics change every day. And so the two major sections of the Olympics page were um, the medals and the odds. And the odds are very tedious because um, depending on, excuse me, the event, every sports book will list them a little bit differently or some will have them down to adjust the odds and then put them back up. Um, you know, so some of those little different sports book terms um, in how they list the odds, uh, you know, that, that makes the Olympic be like the only thing you do for two weeks. And then the medal section is something that I suggested we add um, this past year because it gives you something to go look at on the page after the Olympics ends. Um, and it also helps you, um, you know, balance out the page. So as you have fewer and fewer events, you have more and more uh, medals and it's just a really easy way to get a big picture and see how all of those, um, how all those contests are resolving. So it's, um, it's a lot, you know, if we, if we were to do it for the NFL, we would have, you know, longer breaks in between each, uh, each update than, uh, you know, you do during the Olympics. Yeah. The Olympics, I think for betting are just completely like, just compared to the MLB, which is a longer season versus those two weeks. Um, but that's all the time that we have for you, Chris. We really, really, really appreciate um, all this knowledge that you've given us today. I mean, we, like I said at the beginning, we're talking to guys that are, people are paying for their picks and what they're betting on versus mm -hmm. with you, you are somebody that is in the industry, but you're doing a lot of like that close knit down to the earth type of information and reporting. And especially mm -hmm. to learn about the political side, because like, I don't Thanks. think we're ever going to hear that from anybody. So we seriously do appreciate your time today and, um, you know, stay connected with us and we'll do the same. We really do appreciate it.
Sure. Thanks, y'all, for having me. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Chris. Take care, and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. You got it. That was uh that was that was really fun. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to the point of like literally not like seeing who we have had on prior. Facts. So if you guys have if you guys have enjoyed this episode on YouTube, drop a like down below and a comment on the differences that you learned from Olympic lines to NFL and NBA lines or anything on the political side. We really do appreciate it. We have a large week coming up yes, we do. with Bell on Thursday, so be ready for that. You've been listening to the All Day Everyday Show with All Day AJ and the homie Manny Ruffin. My name is Alex Jacobs. You can call me All Day AJ. We will see you guys when we see you. Give us that five-star rating, please. Love you guys. Yes, see you in a bit.